Well, I shamelessly borrowed my introduction to our guest speaker from an article that the New York Times did on um, New York Times, the Shreveport Times. Uh, did regarding her nomination for the Virginia Sheehy Woman That Makes a Difference Award. Uh, and that has not been decided yet, but she is a nominee. Um, let's see. Rachel Scott is a quiet leader who has committed her life to justice issues involving race, gender, and income. A steady force who has served behind the scenes in Northwest Louisiana for decades. With degrees in social welfare and social justice, she worked for 20 years for the YWCA, including serving as program director at the YWCA Family Violence Program, an experience that changed her life. She has served on the board of directors for the YW since 2010 and is currently the president as a longtime nonprofit employee and a dozen years with the privilege of being a full-time volunteer, Rachel grew up in Shreveport in the years following the Civil Rights Movement and was affected by integration during middle school. It was then, she said, that she began to develop a sensitivity to issues of equality and justice. Her passions are the empowerment of women and working with groups that are oppressed and marginalized. Since 2005, Rachel has also been the Community Outreach and Missions Coordinator for the Noel Memorial United Methodist Church in the Highland neighborhood of Shreveport. In that role, she coordinates mission work within and outside the U.S. and has participated with a vibrant program to help adults get their GED. Would you please help me welcome Rachel Scott. Thank you so much, Barbara. Thank you for the invitation to be here. Um, this is such a beautiful place. It's just a beautiful spirit here. and. Um, I love being able to be here with you today to talk about something very, very uh, special to me. Um, being from Shreveport, I have been involved in one way or another with the YWCA most of my life, even sometimes without even really knowing it. Um, I, um, the small Methodist church that I grew up in every year had a family picnic, and it was at Camp Margaret. Camp Margaret is a YWCA camp um, that is located out near here off Robson Road um, that um, was a beautiful setting where we met every year. And then later when I was in middle school, I joined Y-Teens and we had um, meetings at Camp Margaret at the downtown YWCA on Travis, um, out at Camp Caney where we had a leadership training uh, camp which really impacted me as a 13, 14-year-old young woman uh, in many, many ways. After college in 1984, I reluctantly, I said reluctantly, took a job 
at the YWCA as the family, with the Family Violence Program. And I say that because I was not planning to stay in Shreveport. I was ready to go off on a big adventure, live somewhere else near the mountains. So I told them that I would come and work there for now. Well, I worked there for 20 years until, until 2004. I got involved again in 2010, um, and I'm now the board president, as Barbara said. So let me share with you some more about this incredible organization called the YWCA. And the YWCA, the acronym is, stands for Young Women's Christian Association. And basically, none of those things really describe it anymore. <laughs> it, that was in the beginning. Um, it has been, though, an organization that has been at the forefront of some of the most critical social movements for more than 150 years, from women's empowerment to civil rights to affordable housing and pay equity to violence prevention and health care. The YWCA was first started in 1855 in London, about 10 years after the YMCA started. And I do want to say that those are two different organizations. Most people, when they hear why, they think YMCA, or they think that we're all the same thing. And we're really very separate, very different. They're very good at what they do. But the YWCA is a very different organization. Both of them began addressing the unsafe housing and work conditions in the city after the Industrial Revolution. In the United States, in 1858, the first YWCA opened in New York City, and then one opened in Boston in 1866 and had a residence for girls. The New York City YWCA opened the first employment bureau for women and the Boston YWCA soon after began a calisthenics program for women in 1877 when women were considered too frail for exercise. They were, they were ahead of their time. In 1889, amazingly, the YWCA in Dayton, Ohio opened the first black branch of the YWCA. And in, in well, let me get my place here. And in um, 1890, the first branch for Native American women opened in Oklahoma. By 1910, there were 57 branches of the YWCA providing services for immigrant women. And again, listen to those dates, 1800s, early 1900s. That's just amazing to me. YWCAs began forming all around the world. And today, there are YWCAs in over 120 countries around the world, providing services for women. That was just the beginning and the first and the things that the YWCA did back then can go on and on. But I'm especially proud of the work that the YWCA has done and its commitment to racial justice and civil rights. And many of these things were taken many, many, many years ago. In 1936, the YWCA held the first interracial conference in the South. And in 1946, at the YWCA National Convention, it adopted an interracial charter. And that charter stated that wherever there is injustice on the basis of race, whether in the community, the nation, or the world, our protest must be clear 
and our labor for its removal vigorous and steady. I love that. And I just recently learned this, that in 1955, the YWCA was the first organization in Louisiana to open its doors for interracial meetings. I don't know which one that was, but I want to find that out. So today, the YWCA is the oldest multicultural organization for women in the world. And its mission statement is this. The YWCA is dedicated to the elimination of racism and the empowerment of women and promoting peace, justice, freedom, and dignity for all. So again, it's no longer just for young women, and it's no longer just a Christian association. It's not even a religious organization today. It is inclusive of all persons, and its services are focused, though, on women and girls. But what about our YWCA here? Our YWCA here has a really interesting history. And after it closed in 2010, which I'm going to talk more about in a minute, we were cleaning out all of these decades of files and everything, and I found something I'd never seen the whole time I worked there, and it was a, a chronological history timeline of all of the events that started our YWCA up to the early 80s. So I want to just share with you a couple of things from that about how it got started here. In March of 1925, the formal organization of the YWCA was completed in the convention hall of the Washington Hotel. If you're from Shreveport, you kind of know where that was. And um, at the first meeting the next month, they announced that a lease had been signed on Travis Street across from the YMCA that was under construction at the time, and that there, was there were 1,248 members already of the YWCA, uh, and a business secretary had been employed for, at $100 a month. That was probably a lot of money back then. Um, and at their first annual meeting in 1926, it was reported that there were seven business girls groups, a two-and-a-half-month-old health education program, and a girl reserves program. That was the precursor to the Y-teens. It was the, the school-based program was called Girl Reserves. Don't you love that? And in the 30s, even though the YW fell on hard times and they had to cut back to just two staff persons, they reported that that year 240 persons had been provided food, clothing, and helped to secure employment. Um, and in 1934, note that date, in 1934, the board minutes stated that a committee of black women had appealed to the YWCA for permission to operate girl reserves clubs in their schools. And they uh, later did approve that. And in 1947, the board discussed the need for, this is quotes from the minutes, a colored YWCA, and they began working on this. And in 1949, um, they began forming that branch of the YWCA with 322 black members of the YWCA at that time in the 40s. It goes on and on. In the 50s, they built the building downtown, raised the money and built it uh, on the corner of Travis and Louisiana Streets. That included a residence for women where women could, single women could live and uh, 
one of the first uh, largest pools in the area. And in 1955, they announced at a meeting that over 1,300 girls were in whiting clubs in 41 uh, sites in Shreveport. In 1957, a really important matter they, they discussed was whether or not to allow dancing in the teenage room at the YWCA. They decided they would, but they needed to charge 10 cents a person to cover the cost of the care of the floor. And in 61, they announced that the teenage dances had become so popular that the teenage room was bursting at the seams and some 380 young people were attending. It's a lot of people. Um, so it goes on through the 60s and they were full all the time in the residence hall for, for women. Um, and in, 19, in the 1950s, they opened the branch of the YWCA in Allendale and in the 70s built a building there, uh, a permanent building with a pool. In the late 70s, it became clear that the need for women, single women, to have a place to live was no longer a need in our community any longer. And in 1978, they started the Rape Crisis Program. And then in 1980, that area was converted to being the shelter for abused women. Uh, and then it continued on and was one of the largest and strongest programs of the YWCA that I was fortunate to be a part of. So let's catch up now to the recent story. In 2010, the YWCA closed due to financial and management struggles that had been going on for many, many years. A small group of us that made up at the board uh, made up the board at the time, vowed we would reopen the YWCA and continue its legacy of service and empowerment of women. We met monthly to resolve all of the YW's issues and settled all the debt, maintained our nonprofit status and our affiliation with the National YWCA, sold the building, and began that process of cleaning all of, out all of those things, going through decades and decades of files of all of the thousands and thousands of women that had been helped was a very, very hard task. It just brought, made it clear to me all of the work that had been done, all of the lives that had been touched. It was, it was very sad, but it also reminded us of how important the work was and how much it needed to continue. It was our motivation to keep going. So our, our board began to build, and in 2013, we received a grant from the Beard Foundation for administrative startup cost that allowed us to hire a part-time executive director. And then things really took off from there. And in 2015, we began providing services to women again. We started providing a group for home, a support group for homeless women at Hope Connections, parenting classes, a teen empowerment program called LEAD, um, financial and legal education classes for women, and this year, we moved into a new building, providing a lot more space, and we have started counseling services for women who, and for teen girls who are victims of crime. So we have come a long way. We are very excited. We now have four part-time staff people and two full-time, including a brand new executive director who will start next Monday. We are excited. So you've heard of the phoenix arising from the ashes. And according to Wikipedia, our trustee uh, source, in Greek mythology, a phoenix 
is a long-lived bird that is cyclically regenerated or reborn. According to this, associated with the sun, a phoenix obtains new life by rising from the ashes of its predecessor. I love that. So like the YWCA, I think that some things have to die in order for new growth to occur. I think this is true of many things in our lives, in our relationships, in our systems, and even in our churches. We have to let go, we have to surrender, we have to stop trying to fix it or control it and allow it to just end its course. I'll never forget sitting in the YWCA club room, we called it, discussing the recommendation to close it and knowing that with that single vote, we did vote to close, all the weight of all of 85 years of the services that we provided, all of the women that had come through those doors, that had been helped, that had been empowered, all of the women who'd come before us, who built it, and who sustained the YWCA over the years, just came down on me. It was, it was just one of the saddest days. We cry, all cried very, very hard. It was the hardest decision. But even within that, there was a hope. There was an inspiration. There was a vision of renewal of what could be, of what will continue. And that was our motivation to go on. You know, some say that spiritual transformation only comes through great love or through great suffering, through the dark night of the soul, the painful journey. And as long as we are moving forward and staying on that journey, we don't get stuck. But we sometimes keep doing things even when they're no longer working for us, just because we're attached to them, we're comfortable, we tend to avoid change at all costs. The favorite saying at my church is, but we've always done it that way. I know no one says that here. But we all do this. We usually have to be forced into change because it's scary, it's unsettling, and it's stressful. Richard Rohr, who's a Franciscan, refers to these times of change as sacred space or liminal space, the in-between time where nothing is like it used to be. It's a time of disorientation, but it's also a way of being at a threshold. He says this, a liminal space, the time of transition or waiting and not knowing is a unique spiritual position where human beings hate to be but where God is always leading them. It is when you have left the tried and true, but have not yet been able to replace it with anything else. It's when you are finally out of the way. It's when you, you are between your old comfort zone and any possible new answer. And if you are not trained in how to hold anxiety, how to live with ambiguity, how to entrust and wait, you will run anything to flee this terrible cloud of unknowing. He says that this liminal space is where real transformation is most likely to take place, when we're more open to the spiritual and the sacred. 
Life-giving renewal can occur then if we don't block it or stop it. It says, but it feels like suffering because part of us has to die to let go, to create space for the new. We incorporate the old, the past. It's all part of who we are now. It shapes us. And everything belongs. Everything fits. It's a chance for a new beginning, a new change, the place of grace out of which where newness will come. The YWCA is a phoenix rising out of the ashes with a new life and a new future. I appreciate all that all of you have done to support it. Many of you have been part of it. Many of you have been part of our Dialogue on Race program, which is our new racial justice efforts. And I am just so proud to be where we are and to have all of your support. And thank you so much for all that you've done and for helping to make this happen.